Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Wild card weekend in the NFL. Let's go. I am Pat Leonard, the New York Daily News NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. Welcome to Talking Ball. We are going to go over all of the matchups. I will be flying to Minnesota to cover Giants-Vikings on Sunday at 4.30. Can't wait for that. But first, I want to tell you about some of the voting that I and others in the media are doing at the end of this NFL season to give awards, accolades, and pats on the back to people who deserve it. I take it very seriously for the Professional Football Writers Association. And obviously, every year there's some discussion, some controversy about who deserves awards like MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, etc. The Coach of the Year discussion, though, is interesting to me. There's a lot of deserving candidates. We have Andy Reid from the Kansas City Chiefs, loses Tyree Kill, who cares? Doug Peterson turns the Jaguars around, gets them into the playoffs, wins the division. Nick Sirianni and the Philadelphia Eagles, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers with losing quarterbacks and still getting it done with Brock Purdy, not missing a beat. Brian Dable and the Giants, obviously, getting a lot done with one of the more restrictive roster situations in the league. And Pete Carroll and Mike Tomlin, two guys who have been around, two of the most tenured coaches in the league, but Carroll doing it with a young roster and a team full of underdogs for the most part. And Mike Tomlin really making an impressive late season charge, still has not had a, a season under 500 as an NFL head coach and gets it done with a combination of Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett at quarterback. So all deserving men, but I'm here to tell you that I think there's only one vote for coach of the year in 2022, and I believe that is Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills. And it's not just because he's 62-35 and as an NFL head coach, 13-3 and this season, 10 wins or more in four straight seasons. Yes, wins are important. Yes, Uh, filling the stands is important. All of those things are come with being an NFL head coach. But the bottom line is this coach of the year should award leadership. It should award someone's ability to rise to the occasion in one of the most difficult moments and do one of the more impressive jobs of the season. And Sean McDermott's initial reaction and his management of the situation in Cincinnati when DeMar Hamlin went down. That's everything you want an NFL head coach to be. McDermott has never won this award. You could argue he should have won it in the past already. He's due to win this award, to receive praise for what he's done in Buffalo for so many years. But if there's ever a year to award him and award uh, what you believe an NFL coach should look like, to set an example for the rest of the league, when Zach Taylor from the Bengals told us that Sean McDermott's first reaction when he crossed the field and they spoke as head coaches was, I need to be at the hospital with DeMar. I can't be coaching this game. That should be shouted from the rooftops as what every NFL head coach should be and how they should represent their team. And not only that, but also taking the team into the locker room and then empowering the players to make the decision to call off the game. 
Of course, the league should have done that earlier, but Sean McDermott's recognition of the fact that his players were hurting and that they were humans with empathy and emotions for a difficult time, putting it in the hands of his captains and letting them decide that it would not not just not be appropriate, but also that they couldn't, given how much they were feeling and hurting for their brother. All of those things are the reason why I believe Sean McDermott should be the NFL's coach of the year for 2022. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Bet Online. Bet Online is our sponsor here. We're very grateful to have them. And obviously, as we get into the playoffs, this is where we're going to be using all of our odds to talk about uh, the NFL wildcard games. And I will be picking against the spread in our final segment, Pat's Picks. But first, Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your betting with sports this season. Everything from the NFL and bowl season to esports, you'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. I'm going to stay on the NFL head coaching topic, but move on to Black Monday and people who are still on the hot seat. We told you in the New York Daily News on Sunday, if you read my Sunday Notes column and if you've listened to us throughout the week here, Lovie Smith was likely to be one and done. He's out in, in Houston. Cliff Kingsbury was in jeopardy of being fired in Arizona. He's out. And I'm told by some league sources who believe that there are still three coaches in the playoffs who are in jeopardy of losing their jobs if they go one and done or if they you know, lose their playoff opener. The three coaches are Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys, Todd Bowles of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Chargers. So that presents an intriguing storyline, the headline, in my opinion, of Tom Brady and the Bucks against Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. It's not just about a playoff game and who wins and advances. To me, the loser of that game likely loses his job. At least that's what league sources I trust in the league tell me is likely slash possible. So look for that. Obviously a lot riding for both of those head coaches and also those teams. I frankly, uh, believe that as much as Mike McCarthy has won a lot of games this season, he needs to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt for Jerry Jones that he's the right guy to coach them in these big moments. Uh, Jones is impatient. And uh, frankly, whether or not that's valid or not, that's just how the situation has, has unfolded there. And Brandon Staley in, in Los Angeles did a good job getting the Chargers in. But with Justin Herbert, you know, the Chargers, for good reason, I think, believe that they should be contenders. And of course, Mike Williams got banged up in the regular season finale, which wasn't necessary. Uh, playing guys, not playing guys, etc. But even before these last few games, league sources had told me that Tom Telesco, the GM, and Brandon Staley, the head coach, were both in jeopardy. And of course, they make the postseason. That was an important part of trying to save their jobs. But if Staley goes one and done and loses on the road in Jacksonville, I think there's a good chance that there's a complete overhaul in Los Angeles with the Chargers. And if that happens, several league sources tell me that they believe Sean Payton is the man for that job, that that's the job he wants. 
that has been what I've been hearing for a while. Um, and if that, so if they fired Telesco and Staley, that would be Sean Payton, most likely to the Chargers. Of course, he's been interviewing with the Denver Broncos. There's other jobs coming open. Uh, but from a personal standpoint out in California, that makes sense for Peyton, as well as if they rip out the GM seat as well as the head coach, gives Peyton the autonomy that he is looking for and, frankly, that he needs, that he's so used to coaching in the NFL in New Orleans. I don't think you can you can see him going back to a job where he's not going to have that kind of power and autonomy. So look for that. One more coaching point, Don Martindale, Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator, deserves interviews, deserves a job, in my opinion. If some of these owners are going to hire guys like Urban Meyer and Nathaniel Hackett, and I'm just to give a couple examples here, and even, let's just face it, even guys like Matt LaFleur, Zach Taylor, uh, Arthur Smith, you know, guys who did some impressive work, but are young, are inexperienced, are still learning on their jobs, still have plenty of flaws as well. And I'm not, I'm not downgrading any of those guys, but I'm saying if they attract you as head coaches, yeah, you want the young, flashy, you want the next Sean McVay. That's, that's what all these owners have been chasing. But Don Martindale is not some mindless, defensive, blitz-happy thug on the sidelines who doesn't know football. He is a an empathetic leader who has the ear and the respect of his players, who attacks opposing offenses, who gives coordinators on the offensive side of the ball fits, and who allows his players to play fast, but still confuses opposing quarterbacks by making the defense look more complicated than it is. I look at a guy like Jonathan Gannon in Philadelphia, hope he has a great career. He's very popular on the interview circuit. Why should a defensive coordinator with a passive system be more popular than a more experienced coordinator with an aggressive system that no team enjoys playing against? I mean, Martindale in Baltimore with better players than he has in New York at the moment was the, D the league's top defensive coordinator, top defense year in and year out, if not top two or top three for several years running there. I think Wink deserves interviews. I think he deserves more love. Um, if Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, is going to get some of these interviews, I think Wink Martindale absolutely deserves at least the same. So that's something I wanted to say. And then finally, wanted to give another shout out to Geno Smith in Seattle. In the NFL, it's a harsh business and everyone accepts that it's not fair. Usually if you don't succeed in your first try, you might not get a second try. And if you do get a second try, it might not be optimal circumstances. It probably won't. And people accept that. But Geno Smith is such a rare case of not only getting himself to the right opportunity, but also creating believers out of people after so much disappointment and doing so with his work ethic, with his even killed demeanor and um, with his leadership, frankly. I think a lot to be, is to be said for Geno Smith being a playoff quarterback in Seattle after what he went through with the Jets, after what he went through with the Giants, and after toiling for so long, even out West, just to get that opportunity and to get it in a season where nobody had any expectations of him or the team at all and to do what they have done. Um, I think that's an excellent job by Geno and by the Seahawks. And just to pivot to my last point off of Geno, Talking to people about what Daniel Jones's contract will look like in the offseason, uh, 
Geno Smith's free agent negotiations and multi-year deal and negotiations and contract with the Seattle Seahawks. Watch that if you're a Giants fan or somebody around the league watching these quarterback contracts because what Geno Smith does from a contract standpoint will set a floor for what Daniel Jones representatives can do with the Giants. Now, at the moment, talking to people I trust in the league about how this could shake out, (coughs) excuse me, how this could shake out is the transition tag is still the, the smartest plan at the moment for the Giants as far as how are we preparing right now to go in at the start of the negotiations. Transition tag would be a one-year $30.5 million deal approximately. That's over the CAPS estimates right now. And what that does is it holds in place a deal for one year, $30.5 million if you don't get a deal done. But also it creates kind of a floor and a range for you to negotiate with Daniel Jones and his agents on a longer term contract. Now, Jones, if he wins in Minnesota in the playoffs, could maybe force the Giants hands to bump that up from the transition tag to the franchise tag, which would be thirty two and a half million for a one year deal if they don't get a multi-year extension. The transition tag leaves the door open to somebody to come and sign Daniel off the Giants if they don't match. So if you want more cost certainty as well in in not having to match someone else's financial structure of an offer, if you're the Giants and Joe Shane, you could just go right to the franchise tag at $32.5 million and have that be your starting point. Uh, and that's why, you know, I first of all, I do think the Giants have a good chance to win. But secondly, the fact that he has had the season he has had, I think, puts Jones in a good position of leverage, especially if he wins against Cousins and the Vikings on the road. The lack of a market for teams to come in and try and sign him away at some high number might hurt Jones's ability to get to shoot the moon, so to speak, on a contract front. But people I trust in the league believe that eventually he could he could negotiate and find himself towards a three year one hundred million dollar deal. So that'd be thirty three and a half or thirty three point three million per year on average. And then get maybe anywhere from 60 to 75 million guaranteed. And a lot of the guarantees or most of the guarantees would be loaded into the front two years. And what that would do is it would allow Daniel and his agent to get back to the negotiating table two years down the road, hoping for the big payday, the huge cash in, where if he does well enough in two years in the same system and keeps growing, the Giants sign him to a long-term monster contract And then he is set for life. So when you look at Daniel Jones's decision as well, maybe there's a lack of a market for someone to come in and poach him for $40 million and force the Giants hand there. But also from Jones's standpoint, you have to think there's not much incentive to leave New York because if you're in New York, you finally found maybe a coaching staff that knows how to harness your ability and get the most out of you. And you've had all of this turnover, offensive coordinators, different systems, different head coaches. And now you finally have a chance to to maintain stability. And so for Daniel Jones, you know, is it worth it to force the Giants hand towards the 40 million a year number when getting closer to 35 or a little bit under 35 still gets you a significant payday because you're getting – 60 to 75 million in guarantees, probably between 65 and 70. And then you're getting that money and you know that money's there. And then you also have an opportunity to continue to grow. 
We'll see if the market changes. There's a lot of teams who have quarterback needs who are drafting at the top of the NFL draft. So that's another thing. You can They can get more cost certainty and cheaper quarterbacks for more, under more con, longer control than they would having to pay Daniel Jones, who did have a good season, but just had one encouraging year that, you know, hypothetically some GM out there could say, well, yeah, no, that was a good season, but do I know he's going to do that for the next three under a new head coach and in a new system over here in this new city? All of that is to say Jones has earned his way to a new deal. Those are the parameters of what it would slash could look like. And this is just a fascinating time of year that's only going to ramp up as we get deeper into the playoffs. We're going to do two podcasts this week. We're going to split them into two. Busy week for everybody. So I'm going to go solo here and move right over to Pat's picks, and I'm going to break down all of my picks against the spread via the spreads at betonline.ag and talk through all of these matchups. And then we're going to come back later in the week with a with a meaty playoff preview, and we're going to dive further into these matchups on Wild Card Weekend. But stick around. We'll be right back with Pat's picks. All right. Welcome back to Pat's Picks. Let's get into the Wild Card Weekend matchups. All of these lines are courtesy of betonline.ag. I'm going to start with the Niners, minus seven and a half against the Seattle Seahawks. The Niners are at home. I like the Seahawks here as the underdog. With this large spread, I understand the Seahawks have not played well down the stretch, and the Niners look like a Super Bowl contender. I do believe the Niners win this game. Could be some bad weather here. There's some bad weather possibly in the forecast. Seahawks only lost to the Niners by eight when they played recently. That game, of course, was in Seattle, not on the road um, at the Niners. So that could be a factor. But I do believe that Pete Carroll's coaching uh, will prevent this from being a blowout, as well as even if the Niners are up significantly at some point, Geno Smith could help throw them back into a, a more respectable score. I mean, we're not talking about a Seahawks offense with their receivers, with their weapons, Kenneth Walker, you know, Lockett, Metcalf, et cetera, and the way Geno played most of the season. We're talking about an offense that can can move the ball a little bit. The Niners defense obviously is fierce. I think San Francisco wins and advances, but I like Seattle to cover nine and a half on the road. Um, the next one I think might be my best bet. Uh, the Jaguars are plus two at home against the Chargers. Man, I really like the Jaguars here. I love the Jaguars here. I think that this line looks like an overreaction to me to the Jaguars just eking by the Titans last week. And frankly, I think that, first of all, Trevor Lawrence missed a couple really easy throws that he does not new- normally miss, and the score wouldn't have been as close. Secondly, Mike Vrabel and the Titans from a schematic standpoint on defense and also just a just a hard-nosed attitude standpoint in the way that he coaches th- those games. I mean, the Chargers aren't the Titans when it comes to how that game will be played in my opinion. The Chargers defense did look better down the stretch of the season, but I think the Jaguars offense is going to move the ball and score in this game. I don't think it's going to be as tough sledding nearly as it was against the Tennessee Titans. And the Chargers as two-point favorites, I know I've seen this some some places as one and a half. Boy, two-point favorites with a team that goes for fourth down in some questionable spots, gets over-aggressive. Uh, Mike Williams is banged up. I, I mean, listen, Austin Eckler is phenomenal. Herbert's phenomenal. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are phenomenal. 
Um, you know, they should score two on Jacksonville for, for sure. They should score some points, but I cannot sit here and tell you that the chargers are definitely going to win this game, let alone cover two points. And it wouldn't surprise me if this line by the end of the week, uh, we're down closer to pick them. Um, bills are minus nine against the dolphins. This is a large spread. And yes, there could be a letdown from an emotional standpoint from Buffalo after such a high against New England and the amazing response that the team had to the DeMar Hamlin situation and kind of the uplifting nature of his health updates. Um, but the absence, the likely absence, I should say, we don't know, of Tua Tagovailoa, to me here is just, it's too hard to ignore Tyree Kill, you know, the danger with a nine point spread is Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, and the Dolphins. You know, they're just one play away at all times from, you know, like let's say the Bills are up 15 points. You know, Tyree Kill could go 80 yards and the Dolphins could cover in a, an eight point loss, right? So that's dangerous. You know, I probably would wait for on this game until the last minute to to bet on it to find out not only what the line is, but also who's playing and or who's trending towards playing and who's not. But at the moment, Bills minus nine at home against the Dolphins team without Tua, not knowing who their quarterback is really at the moment. Um, I like the Bills. The Giants plus three at the Vikings. Man, I like the Giants here. I like the Giants a lot. Um, I think they can win this game. I think they will win this game. Of course, it's easy to sit there and say, well, they should have beaten them last time. They just got to clean it up and they'll beat them this time. Obviously, is isn't going to be that simple against Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson. Um, it's it's not going to be easy, but I love the Giants in this game. Give me the Giants and those three points. Happily take those three points. Uh, the Bengals, minus seven at home against the Ravens. Reports that Lamar Jackson is pushing to try to play. Everything that's coming out of Baltimore, though, says that he's not healthy and he's not ready. So even if he does play, it doesn't sound like he's going to be himself. Um, I think the Bengals are still, for some reason, one of the more underrated teams in the league, though this line definitely reflects that Vegas at least understands how much better they are than the Ravens. So I would, again, just like the Buffalo Dolphins game, I would wait a little later in the week before betting this one, but I like the Bengals and... Finally, another potential best bet candidate, the Buccaneers plus two and a half. So two and a half point underdogs hosting the Dallas Cowboys. The Buccaneers, listen, they're they're an ugly team to watch. They're not a good team, but they're going to win this game. And like I said in our opening segment, I think the losing coach of this game gets fired. So Mike McCarthy, Todd Bowles, jobs are on the line. Because I believe the Bucs are going to win the game and Tom Brady is going to beat Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, you know, I, I have to take the Bucs two and a half. I feel like, uh, you know, I mean, you're just giving me free free points here based on where I see this game going already. Dallas's path to winning this game is running the ball and not letting Dak throw the ball 40 times because Todd Bowles does a lot poorly as a head coach, in my opinion, from a game management standpoint, and the Bucks' offense has been bad and their defense hasn't even been able what to, to do what you expected them to do from a stopping the run standpoint, et cetera. But Bowles knows how to scheme a defense to get quarterbacks in trouble. And he is a great defensive coach. 
And if Dak drops back 40 times, and if they just put it completely on the quarterback's shoulders, the Cowboys are going to lose. So they need to rely on Tony Pollard and the running game, and they need to try and control the clock and keep Tom Brady off the field. But I love the Bucks on this one as well. So to recap, that is four underdogs against the spread. Seahawks, Jaguars, Giants, and Buccaneers had two favorites, the Bills and Bengals. We'll be back with a second episode breaking those games down even more later in the week. So stay right here on our channels, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc. So we will see you later in the week before we get to those games. Enjoy the prep, enjoy the research, and enjoy listening and and digesting all of this content uh, as we approach the most exciting time of year in the NFL. Reminder to please rate, review, subscribe to these podcasts and to my content everywhere. So that's on the podcasts, that is on YouTube, that's on TikTok and Instagram, PL on NFL, and on Twitter at PLeonardNYDN. See you next time. It'll be sooner rather than later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.